Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Roy Disney once said, It's not hard to make decisions when you know what your values are. Welcome to Christian Questions. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. You might say that ours is a long-term approach as we've been broadcasting the good news of the gospel for over 18 years. And I'm Jonathan, and that long-term, different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue. Always done in a politically free zone. Rick, today is our 964th broadcast, and we've talked the gospel with listeners on several talk radio stations throughout the eastern and central United States for many years. And we figured it was time to bring the good news to the whole world by way of podcasting, so here we are. We thank you all for joining us today. This is a call-in format. We are caller-friendly, so let's get started. Good day, Jonathan. What's the subject? What are we talking about? Well, Rick, the question is, so what are my choices? And our theme text is found in Joshua Chapter 24, verse 15. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which are beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So it's all about choices today. And Jonathan, it's always been our objective with each subject we choose to approach it in a biblical and very relevant, practical way. We search out the original context of the scriptures we cite, we try to find their true meaning, and combine those scriptures with the pressing issues of our day to give you something to really think about and to really talk to us about. So again, what are my choices? Bottom line is this, we make choices every day. Some are easy choices that we don't even need to think much about, and there are others that require some on-the-fly time and attention. Then there are the choices that can be difficult and even agonizing. These are the choices that can make or break a life or shape a destiny or, or at the very least alter the near future. These are the biggest choices we face, but they may not necessarily be the most important ones. We probably... Don't think about how often our really big decisions ending up, end up being a sum total of many small and seemingly irrelevant choices we have made on the fly. The point is, the point is that all of our choices carry a measure of importance. So, what guides us in the choices we make? Are we most often influenced by how we feel about things or by what our friends or family will think? What are the most important factors in a successful Christian decision-making process? So, Jonathan, that's what we want to talk about today. What really makes up good Christian decision-making? What do you got to do? What do you have to think about? What do you have to focus on for really good, solid Christian decision-making in all areas of your life? 
And Rick, uh, one of the things that popped into my mind right away was prayer is a key to making decisions, and especially if our desire is to do the Lord's will and to be pleasing in his sight. And, and when we're praying, sometimes he can reveal the answer as we're talking through it with him, mm-hmm. or we need time to meditate upon that. The, that conversation so we can see the answer later. And what, what we'll see, I think, is that the idea of prayer is going to weave through every single thing that we talk about. So that's a really, really good place to start. Let's go to a, a, um, a YouTube video called How Does the Brain Make Subconscious Decisions? James Neuro from Success uh, did this video. It's very fascinating. He cites some statistics on how the brain works in a conscious level and on a subconscious level, and this, this is really, really quite staggering. We tend to think that our decisions are a very conscious process. However, they're not. We know nowadays that the conscious part of a decision is about 5%, which means the unconscious part is how much? 95%. And that, of course, is because our brain works mainly unconsciously. Every second, our brain processes humongous amounts of data. The unconscious mind processes 11 million pieces of data per second. How much do you think the conscious mind processes? It starts with a four, then a zero, And that's it. 40 bits of data. That's all our conscious mind processes per second. Okay. That means that your subconscious mind is working. I didn't do the math, but it's a heck of a lot faster than your conscious mind. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) I can't even fathom. Your subconscious mind is processing 11 million bits of information every second. I didn't know I had 11 million bits of information in my entire head. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> oh, is that what you think of my brain, huh? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I was thinking that obviously about myself, brother. <laughs> anyway, anyway, the point is that there's so much going on beneath the surface that our consciousness has to be really tuned into whatever it is that's important in order for us to make the right kinds of decisions. We're, we, are, we are told in Scripture— by our theme text that you read earlier and by the next scripture you're going to read, we're told to truly focus on living that which we profess. This means, bottom line, it means making the right choices. If you're going to live something, it means that you're going to make the choices that are necessary to back up what you said you are going to do and how you're going to live. So let's look at James uh, chapter 1, verses 22 to 24. But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. So the scripture really focuses on the idea of not only being doers of the word, or saying that you're a doer of the word. But the way the scripture starts out, to me, really kind of, it jumps out. Because it says, prove yourselves doers of the word. You know, and in my mind, I kind of get the, get the vision of, you draw the line in the sand and you say, I dare you to step over that line. 
And what this is saying is prove yourself. Go ahead. Step over the line of being a doer of the word and don't just say it. Don't just think about it. Don't just fellowship on it when you go to church on Sunday about how great it is to be a doer of the word, but actually do what the word of God tells us. And And don't be a hypocrite. Yeah, well, and that's really what it comes down to. Because what we're going to find out in this whole process this the, uh, during this podcast is that it really comes down to being genuine to those things which you have professed are most important. So, so, so to make a decision, to make a choice, is to employ some kind of process of the mind, even if it's on a subconscious level. And we just learned that in that last soundbite. Our objective today is to identify those things that are part of this process— and then to try to slow down the process so that we can be sure that the most important decision-making elements of our pending choice, whatever it might be, occupy the most important positions in our actual decision. So, Jonathan, to translate all that wordiness into something shorter, yes, we're trying to make good choices. We want to make sure that the most important things are first in the good choices. So the question is, well, what are the most important things? How do you get to the most important things? And then how do you implement the most important things if your subconscious mind is processing 11 million bits of information every second? How do you make room for those most important things? And while you're battling the flesh and the spirituality in your life, it's contradictory one to another. Right, right, right. And, and so that makes it even worse. So it at, does. as a Christian, making good choices is a real challenge. Anybody who says that, yeah, I, I've become a Christian and, you know, making the, the right choices is always a breeze, you know, just wait. You haven't grown up enough yet. You haven't had to, to, to fight against all of the, the sinful propensities. Maybe you haven't been made aware of them well enough yet, but you'll get there. And then you're going to realize what a challenge this is every day. Now, it's not to say that we're all so steeped in sin that we can't do it because we can. But the thing is, we have to know how to. Proverbs 14, 12, a very short scripture, but very, very uh, uh, appropriate at, at this point. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. All right. 11 million bits of information per second. Most of those bits of information, I would venture to say, are the way of death because they're part of the process of sin growing up in us throughout our whole lives. So we've got to figure out how to make the right kinds of choices. Let's go to a different soundbite. This is from Samantha Agos. This is five tips to improve your critical thinking. And so it's just going to be kind of an introduction on these five tips for critical thinking. There are many ways to improve our chances. And one particularly effective technique is critical thinking. This is a way of approaching a question that allows us to carefully deconstruct a situation, reveal its hidden issues, such as bias and manipulation, and make the best decision. If the critical part sounds negative, that's because, in a way, it is. Rather than choosing an answer because it feels right, a person who uses critical thinking subjects all available options to scrutiny and skepticism. Using the tools at their disposal, they'll eliminate everything but the most useful and reliable information. There are many different ways of approaching critical thinking, but here's one five-step process that may help you solve any number of problems. And of course, we're going to get to that five-step process as we go through the program. But the, the, the point, Jonathan, is critical thinking is 
critical. <laughs> it just is. It's, it's an important part of the process for any Christian to make really, really good choices. So what we want to do is we want to suggest four key elements of choice that we're going to discuss during this podcast. So, so what are the four key elements? Well, Rick, it's principles, pressures, preferences, and passions. All right. We're just going to sort of define each of those for the rest of this segment, and then we're going to take them apart and look at them in a critical way, uh, applying that idea of critical thinking so that we can push away the things that are not as important and pull towards us the things are, that are most important. So the first one that you mentioned, Jonathan, was uh, principles, one of the four key elements of making a choice. Principles, give, give us a sense. W- what, is, what does it mean to have, to have principles? The external fixed points of reference that are built upon integrity, morality, and godly righteousness. Okay, external fixed points. That's principles. Principles, the kinds of principles we want to rely on, come from outside of us. They are fixed points that we want to bring into us, but they're on the outside. We have to bring them in. If we look at Psalm 119, verses 105 through 112, it's actually going to help to define these four things, principles, pressures, preferences, and passions. So let's look at Psalm 119, verses 105 and 106, under the heading of principles that you just mentioned. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn, and I will confirm it, that I will keep your righteous ordinances. All right. You, you said that principles are the external fixed points of reference. This scripture says, your word is a lamp to my feet. So your word is something from the outside of me that shines a light in front of me so I can see where I'm going. That's what we mean by principles. External light so that we can walk the right kind of path. And so principles, we're starting with that because the principles are so important and so easily, easily overlooked. And Rick, uh, righteous ordinances are also external. God's righteousness, right. learning his way and seeing Jesus and how he used those principles uh, in his walk. Right. So you've got principle, the lamp, the righteous ordinances, external fixed points in our life. We welcome all comments or questions. Even if you disagree with us, give us a call. We're live at 866-985-4ALL. That's 866-985-4255. So principles are, are, are the bottom line, and we're going to go through each of these in great detail throughout the rest of the podcast. Pressures are next, Jonathan. What, what about pressures? Rick, they're the eternal factors, I'm sorry, the external factors or people that create a feeling of urgency to move in one direction or another. Again, external factors, something on the outside that's putting pressure on us to move us to the left or to the right or whatever it might be. Uh, And if we go back to, again, to Psalm 119, we go to verse 107. I am exceedingly afflicted. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. I'm afflicted. Pressure. That external pressure. Now, look, we can create pressure from the inside, but it's inevitably about something on the outside. And that's why we say it's external factors or people. And, you know, that, that affliction can be pain, it can be fear, it can be anxiety, it can be all kinds of things, but it's pressure. And when we have pressure in our lives, we tend to want to bow to it so it doesn't feel so, so heavy, so difficult, so hard to, to press against. So we've got principles 
and pressures, two of the four key elements of making choices. The third key element is preferences. The internal emotions that bend our desires towards one direction or another. See, now preferences are internal, and it's internal emotion. What do I feel like I want? I feel like I want mint chocolate chip ice cream. Should I have it? Well, it's my preference to have it, but is it the right decision to have? Not at this moment. <laughs> Just saying, so you don't have to worry about that. But anyway. Because <laughs> I'd have to do all the talking. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Psalm 119-108. Oh, accept the free will offering of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your ordinances. My life is continually in my hand, yet I do not forget your law. Oh, accept the free will offerings of my mouth. Free will, that indicates his preference, the psalmist's preference is to give that offering to God. It's coming right from his heart. It's a preference. It's something that he does because he wants to. And that's what preferences are, things that we want to that we would rather do rather than other things that we just, you know, I I don't want to do that. The final of the four key elements is passion. So we've got principles, pressures, preferences, and now passions. The internal fire of our heart that can powerfully override all other elements of choice. So no matter how big and powerful the other elements are, look out. <laughs> that's right. They can't hold a candle to passions. Let's go to Psalm 119, verses 110 through 112. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I have not gone astray from your precepts. I have inherited your testimonies forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes forever, even to the end. So you see how the passion uh, of David is showing here. I have not gone astray from your precepts. They are the joy of my heart. I have inclined my heart to perform your statutes. He's showing his internal passion for the service of God. And, and that's such an important thing. And the thing to remember is, in terms of passion, is a lot of our passions are very earthly and very physical and very sensual and very far off of what our Christianity should be drawing out of us. So the question has to be now, well then, how do we put all of this together to make it so that we are making choices that essentially are totally godly and reverent? This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Today's episode is, So, What Are My Choices? Coming up, principles are the first and hardest element of choice. How do we make principles more prominent? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Today's episode is, So, What Are My Choices?, We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL. Wherever you are on the planet, listen to our episodes and interact with us on the Christian Questions app. Download now in your Google or App Store by searching Christian Questions Radio. All right, so Jonathan, we're talking about these four elements of, of making choices principles, pressures, preferences, and passions. And we're starting with principles, and you had mentioned right at the very, very end of the last segment that principles are the hardest of these, uh, of these elements. 
They are. And also, isn't prayer a part of the value of our, our principles? Well, and you're going to see, I think, how, how prayer becomes an absolute necessity because, again, principles are external. They come from the outside in, and principles— See, the rest of the things, pressure, preference, and passion, they all have to do with emotion. Principles mm. don't. Principles just are, and they need to be followed. So that's why they're so difficult, because our emotions are not drawn to principle the way they are to, press, uh, to, to pressure or to, to uh, uh, preference or passion. So that's why they're difficult. That's why we have to spend time on figuring out what the principles are. So again, principles, uh, just, just redefine what, what they are for, for the sake of this segment. The external fixed points of reference that are built upon integrity, morality, and godly righteousness. So that's what principles have to be built on. Integrity, morality, and godly righteousness. And don't forget the godly in the righteousness because there's all kinds of righteousness. Maybe someday we should do a, a podcast on that. You know, what, what is righteous in this world? And it'd be kind of an interesting, uh, I think, an interesting unveiling. That, that would be. Yeah. That would be. Anyway, just quickly reread Psalm 119, 105, and 106. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn and will confirm it that I will keep your righteous ordinances. All right. Your word is a lamp, that external light for me, and then your righteous ordinances, like you said in the first segment, they have to be learned. They don't grow from the inside out. They grow from the outside, and they need to be adopted in. So principles. Principles are the firm foundation of our belief to build upon when all about us are the sh shifting sands of so social status. Try to say that four times fast. <laughs> <laughs> the shifting sands of social status. And principles are also the anchor that holds us steady in a turbulent sea of restless human behavior. So there's two parts to principles. The firm foundation and the anchor that holds us steady in the restless sea of human really wacky behavior. So we're going to talk about principle as the foundation first. What are the foundation principles of what drives us as Christians? So before we get there, let's go back to Samantha Agos. Remember, she was talking about five tips to improve your critical thinking. And we were, we were commenting on how critical thinking is so important for a Christian to make good choices in their life. So here we're going to get the first tip uh, to improve our critical thinking. 1. Formulate your question. In other words, know what you're looking for. This isn't always as straightforward as it sounds. For example, if you're deciding whether to try out the newest diet craze, your reasons for doing so may be obscured by other factors, like claims that you'll see results in just two weeks. But if you approach the situation with a clear view of what you're actually trying to accomplish by dieting, whether that's weight loss, better nutrition, or having more energy, That'll equip you to sift through this information critically, find what you're looking for, and decide whether the new fad really suits your needs. And most of the time, the new fad doesn't suit your needs, but it does steal from your pocketbook. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea, again, is setting the foundation of principle in our lives. If you're a Christian, you need to have your foundation principle set. Well, there's, we're, we're going we're gonna to focus on three parts of that foundation in this segment, Jonathan. And I think there are three very, very, very simple and basic, uh, incredibly important parts. So the first base foundation principle is what? 
God is sovereign, righteous, and unchangeable. All right. God is. We look to God. We worship God. We thank God. We praise God. We follow God's will, God's way, because his plan is great. It's all about God. I mean, to, to yes, it is. That, that's, that's the most basic foundation principle that we can possibly have. Our desires bring praise, honor, and glory to him and him alone. They should, if we choose to have our desires do that. That's the key. Okay, so Hebrews 6, verses 16 to 19. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath given as confirmation is an end of every dispute. So, you know what, and that used to be true in those days, but not anymore. That's right. But that shows us the value of integrity. And back then, integrity meant something. In, a man's word was his word. Right. And you know, the simple handshake or whatever it was, was enough to seal it so you wouldn't go back on it. And we've completely lost that in our, in our world. And again, we've gone from principles to emotions. Uh, okay, let's continue Hebrews 6, uh, 17 through 18. In the same way, God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. All right, there's a lot of words there. The bottom line is this. The first part of the scripture you read before said, okay, integrity is important. So the next part of the scripture you just read says, God wanting us to understand as heirs of the promises that he made, the unchangeableness of his purpose, the clarity of his plan, promised. So there's two things in which it's impossible for God to lie. The clarity of his plan and the fact that he promises. You have those two things. And when you talk about integrity, Jonathan, that is the greatest integrity in all of the universe. Amen. God is sovereign, righteous, and unchangeable. And what does it say in verse 19? This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil. So this hope, because God is unchangeable in his plan, and God's word is as good as the universe is strong. That gives us a sense of the, 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 the clarity which with, with which we can step forward. And it gives you incredible hope. When, when somebody promises you something with that kind of integrity, it, it's like a guarantee. And you say, look, I, there's no reason not to hope because I, I know what's going to happen now. And, th and that's the value, the power of God. So the bottom line is what in terms of looking at God as the first foundation principle. Bottom line is, God is sovereign, righteous, and unchangeable. So unyielding faith in the character of God is a foundation principle on which we can build our very existence. That's right. This foundation gives our choices a smooth and solid surface on which to be based. It gives us something to be able to stand on firmly, without question, without worry, without shaking, without, uh, uh, without equivocation, so that we can say, okay, it is God's will, God's way, God's plan, I'm in. I can stand on that because that's so much bigger than me. And so, we have that Bible to hold on to that's tangible. We can read it, study it, 
focus on it, it's right there, Rick. And that's how we can understand the character of God. So yes. with, without study, without, without studying the scriptures, you're not going to be able to get your arms around the character of God. And again, this is all about making your choices. Making choices in your life, your everyday choices in life, has everything to do with standing firm on the principles of God. So that's the first base foundation principle, is, is the sovereignty, the righteousness, and the unchangeable, loving, merciful, just, and wise character of God. What's the second base foundation belief principle? Well, Rick, Jesus is the absolute center of our lives, our cause and our passion. God is the foundation, and Jesus is our center. Okay, so these are two, and again, it's all about the kinds of choices we make. These are principles that when it comes to making the choices in our lives, we should have these things coming through our mind. Okay, is my choice going to be in line with the sovereignty and the power of God? Is it in line with having Jesus as my center? Now, just a couple of scriptures on that, John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So if God is so big and so great and so powerful and so mighty and so full of integrity and righteousness and such a plan and all of those things, you say, yes, I want to be in line with God. How do you get in line with God? Through Jesus. Exactly. and Because he's our advocate. He is the one who sits beside us to help us go down the right road. Hebrews 12, 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So again, we look at the idea of a foundation, a base foundation belief principle God is all-powerful, almighty, and sovereign, and righteousness, and Jesus is the way to get to that great power and might and great plan. And Jesus is the author and finisher, the beginner and the ender of our faith. So he's the one in whose footsteps we can follow, and his footsteps never faltered. So, I mean, you think about it, and you think about, you think about the idea of you're in that blinding snowstorm, and there's a, you know, a foot and a half of snow on the ground, and you're trying to get from point A to point B, and you've got someone in front of you, and you know they know where they're going. You can say, hey, I'm going to walk in their footsteps. Much better choice than making your own trail. And, and, but see, the problem, Jonathan, is too often... We as Christians, in our choices, even though Jesus may have, have, have blazed that trail, we decide to make our own because, well, you know, we feel like this or that. And we're going to get to the pressures and the preferences and the passions uh, in, in, in a little bit. But we have to make sure that we are following the, the clarity of the footsteps of Jesus because that, that brings us to, to, the, to, the, to the main point Again, another base foundation belief principle that we have to have. So wrapping up the base foundation belief principle on Jesus. Unyielding faith in Jesus as the deliverer of God's plan of salvation is the foundation principle on which we can build the direction in our lives. This foundation gives our choice, our choices an ultimate purpose. So God gives us something to stand on. Jesus gives us a direction to go because we follow him. We'd love to talk to you right now. We're live. Call us at 866-985-FOR-ALL. 
That's 866-985-4255. Or leave us a comment at ChristianQuestions.com. So we're taking our time as we go through the idea of principles. And again, the reason we want to take our time going through the idea of principles is because principles are the hardest thing to hold on to when it comes to making decisions. Because principles are not emotional. They're not. They simply aren't. They are. They exist. So we're going to take twice as much time on principles <laughs> yes. so we don't forget the principles. Right, because if you don't define them, you're not going to remember them. And if you don't remember them, you're not going to apply them. And if you don't apply them, your Christian decisions are not going to be Christ-like. And then where do you end up? Not in a good place. In trouble. <laughs> right, you do. You end up in trouble. You end up stepping outside of the will of God instead of finding the will of God. And no, none of us want to go there. So we've got the base foundation belief principle of God as sovereign, the base foundation belief principle that Jesus is the center of our lives, and now there's a third base foundation belief principle. What is that? True Christianity is a mutual effort of many individuals called to be small parts of something big. And, and Jonathan, in wording this, I think this, there's something really important here. True Christianity— is a mutual effort. You know, I think a lot of times we as Christians think about it as me and Jesus. And, You're right. And that's You're... N- that 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 feels good, right? It's like it's me and Jesus, man. We're 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 you know Jesus. You know, I'm I'm with Jesus and Jesus with me, and and that's great. And that's good. And I don't want to discourage that. But you understand that it's you and Jesus and the rest of the body of Christ. And you can't so much bigger than yourself, right? You're a, you're a part of something so much bigger. Let, let's go to Ephesians 4, 11 to 15. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to build up the body of Christ. Okay, so all of these different elements went in to build up the body of Christ. Now, it doesn't, you notice it doesn't say to build up Jonathan. No. It says to build up the body of which Jonathan is an important part. But Jonathan is just an important part. He's not the whole thing. He's a part. So so continue. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature for which belongs the fullness of Christ. So to a mature man. It's not talking about Jonathan being a mature man. Though Jonathan is a mature man, but that's not the point of the not scripture. Not always. <laughs> I'm working on it, though. <laughs> but see, understand, to, 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 to a mature man, it's talking about as the body of Christ. So we contribute to the maturity of the body. It's not just me. It's my contribution to those around me to contributing to the all-grown-up body of Christ. And then verses 14 and 15. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. So verse 14 started out with the phrase, as a result. So it just talked about the mature man not being an individual, but being the body of Christ. And as a result of being part of that body, 
we're no longer going to be children tossed here and there and tossed about by every wind of doctrine and all these things going on. No, we can stand firm. We can stand strong because our choices now are based in our contribution to the body of Christ, which is bigger than just me. I'm just a little, little, little part of this magnificent body of Christ, which is following after Jesus, which is that base principle that gives us our direction, which is founded in the will of God, the base, strong foundation for everything. So, unyielding faith in the body arrangement of the followers of Christ is the foundation principle on which we can give our lives perspective. This foundation gives our choices a broader meaning because it's about more than just me. And Rick, the body of Christ is a bond that goes even beyond our natural families. And, you know, the scripture reminds me, if you do unto the least of these, you do it as unto me. Mm -hmm. They are counted special in the Lord's eyes, and we, too, should have that special relationship with them. And uh, when the Lord called me uh, from the mire of, of worldliness, when I met the body of Christ, when the small group studying the Bible, wanting to please the Lord and to, to learn to be Christ-like, that bond, that feeling that it, I was blown away by the relationship of these people helping each other yeah. in any way they could, it, it was mind-blowing to me. And see, and, and that captures the essence of the power of the body of Christ. Like you said, it's actually more powerful of a bond than a, a, a human family bond because it's a spiritual, eternal bond. So we've got these three basic foundation belief principles. God is sovereign, Jesus is our center, and Christianity, the body of Christ, is what's really important. It's not just me. I am just a small part of something very big. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Today's episode is, So What Are My Choices? Coming up, so Christian principles of beliefs are our foundation. How does our Christianity provide an anchor? Ahoy, matey. <laughs> That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Today's episode is, So, What Are My Choices? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL. Or you can message us on your app. Christian Questions, a weekly habit that's good for you. Thanks for tuning us in every Monday evening. Join our conversation any day and time at ChristianQuestions.com. So, Jonathan, we're talking about those basic foundation principles of God, Jesus, and the body of Christ. And th those are really, really important. That's a place to start with principles. You start with the, the big, broad, powerful things that, that really, really um, are, are, are things that you stand upon and can work towards. And now you've got to, to, to develop those things in a more practical sense. So, if what we believe— is our decision-making foundation, and we just talked about believing in God, in Jesus, and in the body of Christ, then how we believe and apply it is our decision-making anchor. So what we believe, that's the foundation. How you apply it is what anchors you. To keep from being tossed about, we need to be held steady by the practical application 
of those foundation principles of our faith. These principles will anchor us in our choices. And that is where it starts to get dicey. Because, you know, we all look at those three things. We say, yeah, I believe in God, you know, as, as the, 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 uh, the ultimate creator and the founder. And I believe in Jesus. You know, he is the son of God who came to earth as a man, who gave his life a ransom for all and opened up the door to heaven to be a follower of Christ. And I believe that the body of Christ is sacred because it's the called out ones who are called to follow Jesus. So you got to get to applying those things. Now, what does that mean? This is where it gets all mushy. <laughs> it does. It all, it all gets mushy here. And that's why we're going to talk about these next things as anchor principles. Because an anchor is heavy enough and strong enough to plow through the mush to find something solid. So we need to find something solid in all of the parts of our lives. And that anchor helps us go back to what is right. Yes. And that's the point. Not to how we feel. Not to what we feel like is right, but what is fundamentally and principally right according to Scripture. Now, there's, a, there's sort of a secondary question that I just got handed and says, so if principles are God, Christ, uh, and being part of the body, why are there so many different churches? Uh, Christianity has so many factions. And yeah, that's a big problem. That is. And one of the answers to that problem, like it or not, is that all of Christianity isn't following Christ. It just, it just, and now, now look, are, are we going to sit here and parse it out and say, this group is, and this group isn't, and this group, that's not our job. Nope. Our job is to try to find out what following Christ really means based on the principles of scripture and godliness and to follow it as closely as we can to the purity of what's explained in scripture outside of tradition, outside of feelings, but just what scripture says. That's how we want to figure it out. But there, there's a lot of Christianity, Jonathan, as we will see, especially coming up in, in the second hour, that uh, ends up being far much, uh, far, far much more, boy, that's good grammar, <laughs> much more based on emotion than scriptural principle. Do you want to be that kind of Christian, or do you want to be the Christian that says, no, I can hold on to the principles of righteousness and godliness first? So let's talk about those principles in terms of how we apply them with the anchor principles, firm and steady anchor principles. These principles make our foundation principles live each day. So we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 6, 14 to 18, but we're going to break it up into all, we're going to slice and dice this scripture down to tiny little pieces. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sounds like fun. Yes, it, uh, well, hopefully it's profitable. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. Okay, we'll stop with that. There's three pieces. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. Now, do not be... The, the, it, you get into the grammar of that in, in the Greek, and it's, it's, it's almost like, God forbid, don't let this happen. This is something you should really avoid. That's the way the apostle is expressing this. Be bound together with unbelievers. Now, we typically look at this, this part of the verses as, as applying to marriage, and I think it does, but I think it has a broader, a much broader application than just marriage, but perhaps marriage is the most consuming because there is no relationship that is closer and more binding than the marriage covenant. That's, just, right. that's just That's as, as close as you get. So do not be bound together with unbelievers. We're being told, make sure your anchor is set in something that is based on solid rock principles of scriptural truth. 
So the anchor principle here is what? Seek appropriate fastening together in any long-term or permanent relationship. Again, not just marriage, but any long-term or permanent relationship. You know, even in business relationships, you should really think twice about being a business partner with somebody who doesn't share Christian values. And you say, well, boy, that's not very fair. Well, think about it. What values are you going to base that business on? And what values are they going to base that business on? And when there's a contradiction of values, who wins? There's, that's trouble. Right. Usually the business <laughs> goes <laughs> gets torn apart. Yeah. So, so this is such an important thing. Do not be bound together with unbelie- unbelievers. This is the most intimate, strong uh, relationship between those kinds of things. So, and Rick, a side note uh, on this: if someone is already in an unequally yoked marriage, remain in it. Don't seek to break it off. The Lord right. will still bless you. Right, right. So, so you know, you, you can interpret what we're saying as, oh, Jonathan and Rick were just saying that, boy, you know, I shouldn't be married to somebody who's not a believer. I better get out of that marriage. No, you better not. <laughs> no, you better not. That wouldn't be proper. It wouldn't be righteous. And the apostle instructs us to stay with it. Absolutely. And there is blessing in staying with it. So, and how does that work? Well, that's a subject for another day. But you're right. You've got to be careful that you honor the commitments that you have made because every commitment we make to man is like making a commitment to God. And we've got to be really, really careful with that. So the the fastening together, that's the first anchor principle. We've got to be careful on who we fasten ourselves together with. These are in descending order. That's the most, the strongest. And as we go through the rest of the scripture, it's going to get further and further apart but it touches all kinds of relationships in our lives. So the second part of 2 Corinthians 6.14 is what? For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? So what participation state uh, uh, does righteousness, what participation does righteousness, and, and righteousness is not just being good. No, Rick, it's a state of being made right with God. Right, so it's not just being a law-abiding citizen. That's nice, that's good, that's appropriate, that's acceptable, but that's not what righteousness means. Just say that again. What is it? It's a, it's, a, it's a state of being made right with God. So what participation do, do those who are in a state of being made right with God have with lawlessness? And literally, what does that mean? Uh, illegality. Meaning a state of disfavor of God. That's right. So it's like when you put those who are in the favor of God and those who are out of the favor of God, where is the participation between the two? Where is the common ground? It's very hard to find. So this does not in any way imply that those who are not believers are bad. And again, we want to make that point very, very clear. You're right, Rick. It's not that people who are not believers are bad. They're just simply out of favor with God. Does that mean you can do business with people who are out of favor of God? Of course you can. It, what matters is the things that we base our lives upon and our participation and our, and our joining together with others on. So what's the anchor principle here? Seek the highest levels of partnership in agreements and in action. So when we are looking at partnership with others in whatever kind of endeavor, be it a business endeavor or even a, even a hobby type thing, you really want to be focused on partnering with those who share the same basic principles as you if you have a choice in the matter now if you don't have a choice you don't have a choice but if you do 
make the choice. Really, that, that, that's really what it comes down to. We have to choose. If This is about making choices as a Christian. Surround yourselves with those who are like-minded and have the same Christ-like goals. Yeah, absolutely. So the third point uh, uh, on this, these anchor principles is going to be 2 Corinthians 6.14 again, and we're going to uh, now finish up that verse. Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Fellowship is partnership and participation. Light and darkness are two clear opposites. Now again, light in this verse is not simply good or nice or even righteous and honest. It's godly. There's a huge difference. There's lots of people in the world who are good and nice and honest, but they may may not be godly. Now, that's good that they're like that. And I like them for being like that. And I know lots of people who are that way. And I can work with them, and I can uh, uh, um, have interaction with them, and it can all be very, very positive. And that's great. But when it comes to fellowship, when it comes to that deeper level of communion together, what fellowship, again, what's the basic common ground that we have with those in, in, in that situation versus those of us who are trying to be godly in our every day, in our every moment of our lives by following the footsteps of Christ. So, so what's the anchor principle here? Well, Rick, it's seek the most cohesive fellowship, agreement in principle. All right, cohesive fellowship. So when we are, and th- these anchor principles are to hold us steady in the decisions of life. And Jonathan, we come across all kinds of people in all kinds of circumstances, and it doesn't mean that you shun people who are not following after Christ. That's not the point. That would be rude. <laughs> and it would be ungodly to do that. You're right. Because you know, Jesus didn't do that. Of course not. So what we want to do, though, is when we enter into deeper relationships, we want to be really careful that those relationships can feed us back godliness. Thanks for listening to Christian Questions Live. Call us now at 866-985-4255 or ask your questions and leave your comments at christianquestions.com. All right, so we're going through these scriptures in 2 Corinthians 6, and there's several anchor principles as we go through different levels of relationship in our Christian life. The, the, the fourth level of relationship, and this, this one's kind of cool, is 2 Corinthians 6, the first part of verse 15. Or what harmony has Christ with Belel? Uh, Belel are those notoriously scandalous, Rick. Uh, all right, and that's that's what the word means, uh, you know, from from those ancient times. What harmony has Christ? And remember, when you talk about Christ, you're talking about the body of Christ here with those. And Rick, Rick that means accordance. That word harmony. Right, and and, and you know the interesting thing is the word for harmony. The Greek word is. Symphonious, which sounds like symphony. symphony. <laughs> so when it talks about what harmony, and you think of a symphony, it really does give you a beautiful picture. That's awesome. Because we are seeking harmony in, in our lives, in, in the choices that we make, and therefore in the people that we spend the most of our time with. So what harmony have we with those, have we as those under Christ, with the world as those under Satan's rule? 
Where is the symphony between those under Satan's rule and those under Christ? The There's f- discord there, Rick. Exactly. You're playing a different tune. You've got different music. You've got a different conductor and on and on and on. The fact of our being under Christ defines our being in the world, but not of the world, and are following a spiritual ruler of righteousness and not an earthly one. Ours is truly a spiritual symphony. And so, again, in our daily lives, we come across lots of people, and we're not saying you don't have coffee with people who are not Christians and all of that. The point is, when we're entering into the deeper relationships of life, and we're choosing those friends that we really want to get to know, this scripture is telling us, try and choose, choose those who are more focused on the things that you're focused on, because you will have so much more in common and, you know, it's, it sounds corny, but you can make beautiful music together. You know, I mean, that's really what this is saying. So, so what's the anchor principle here? Well, Rick, it's seek life harmony, playing the same piece of music in the same orchestra. And that's really what we want to be doing in our relationships. Second Corinthians 6 continues, and these are anchor principles because life is just sweeping us this way and that way, especially now with the way people think and how and how because I feel like it means I should have it, and we've got all of that going on. These principles, Jonathan, are the way to combat those feelings. Second Corinthians six fifteen, let's finish it. Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? So to be in common means as part of, as distinct from the whole or portion or share. So this is simple. The commonality here seems to be along the idea of differing roles under the same overall objective. Okay, so you're playing two different roles, same overall uh, direction, but you've got different roles. You've got to play those roles so you accomplish the same thing. The only opportunity for an, a believer and an unbeliever to play assigned roles, it's outside of the headship of Christ. And that's got to happen. Of course. You're going to have that happen every day of your life, most likely. So you say, well, am I not supposed to do that? No, you are supposed to do that. But the question you have to ask yourself is what? Is that where I live? That's a good question. Is that that where, where I live? Is that where I choose to plant my flag or do I plant my flag elsewhere and I go take care of business? with doing, doing all of those other things. So is that where I live? Is that where I want to live? Because sometimes as a Christian, we have that secret desire to want to be like everybody else. And that's not the Christ-like thing. That's not the Christ-like direction. So we have to make a choice when it comes to that. So another anchor principle, anchor principle here is what? Seek sensible common ground, the interlocking principles on upon which we stand. All right, sensible common ground. So all of these principles, Jonathan, are really simple. What we want to do in our daily Christian choices is assess the people and the relationships around us and make sure that we are focusing on those things that are, that are going to bring us to God is sovereign, Jesus is our centerpiece, and we're part of the body of Christ. And these are the ways that we can assess, how am I doing on that? How am I doing with the people I hang out with, with the people I work with, with, um, with the people I have as associates, you know, maybe second and third generation type associates? What's my relationship? How close am I? What am I seeking? What am I staying away from? That's all, all has to be part of this. And uh, then finally, uh, the last one is 2 Corinthians 6, 16. 
Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Okay, what agreement? Agreement means how are we in company with or accord with? Here's the thing. A temple, no matter where you come from religiously, a temple is where religion is kept. To those who believe in any religion, this and this includes paganism, it's a place of sacred meaning and worship. For us, we are supposed to be, we are called the temple of, of, of God. That's, That's right. So I'm so <laughs> Yeah, it is. I am not my own. I must therefore be and do only what is in accord, in agreement with sanctification, with being set aside for a holy purpose. That's my job. That's what I should be basing my choices in my life on, is that holy purpose of my Christianity. And what's the anchor principle here? Well, Rick, it's seek reasonable accord, the general purpose for living our lives. So when we look at all of these anchor principles, they're all very similar because they're all focusing us on what's your relationships? What are your relationships? What, who are they with? Why are they that way? Can you control them? Can you change them? Are they feeding you the things that you need to be fed, or are they feeding you things that are contrary to your desire to do the will of God through Christ? These are the things that we have to ask ourselves about, and these are the things that we have to be very, very careful of because our life decisions depend on the principles that we hold on to. So in the second hour, we're going to talk about the, 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 the passions and the preferences and the pressures in life and how they have an effect on the kinds of decisions that we make and how we can, by applying the principles we talked about in the first hour, really learn to make those things work for the betterment of our Christianity and those around us. For Jonathan, Rick, and Christian Questions, it's about making choices as a good Christian. We'll be back in just a moment to continue the conversation. But until then, so what are your choices? Think about it. Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Ariana Huffington once said, We need to accept that we won't always make the right decisions that will screw up royally sometimes. Understanding that failure is not the opposite of success, it is a part of success. Welcome back to Christian Questions. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And Jonathan, today our topic is important because it's a topic that has to do with every single day of our lives. You're right, Rick, and that question is, so, what are my choices? And our theme text is found in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
All right, so it's about the kinds of choices that we're willing to make. And at the beginning of the podcast, we suggested four key elements of choice. They were principles, pressures, preferences, and passions. These four things are part or should be or can be part, I should say, can be part of any kind of choice that we make in life. And uh, we talked in the first hour specifically just about principles because they're the hardest ones to get a hold of because they're external. So, so define, Jonathan, principles for us at this point. The external fixed points of reference that are built upon integrity, morality, and godly righteousness. External fixed points of reference. That's what a principle is. It's a fixed point of reference, and it's built on integrity, morality, and godly righteousness, and we find that in the scriptures. And there were three base foundation belief principles that we touched on in the first hour, and quickly, what were they? God is sovereign, righteous, and unchangeable. Jesus is the absolute center of our lives, our cause, and our passion. And true Christianity is a mutual effort of many individuals called to be small parts of something big. So we look at those three basic foundation belief principles and say, okay, everything we do should be built on the foundation of God is sovereign, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and we are, by God's grace, called to be part of the body of Christ. We're not called to be Jesus' buddy. We're called to be part of the body of Christ. And there's a big difference because being part of the body of Christ means you play a small role in something that is very, very big and significant. And if we don't have that humility built into the foundation of our Christianity, we will fail as Christians. We simply will. We just will make improper decisions right. and choices based on pride. So in order we so we have to have these three basic foundation belief principles and then we have to have those anchor principles and they basically have to do with the people that we associate with and the people that we deal with and what kind of relationships we pursue in all of those areas of life. And again, during the break, another question was handed to me. How do we appreciate others keeping separate? So while we're keeping separate, how do we appreciate others without coming across as with that holier than thou kind of thing? You know, because we keep saying, oh, be separate, be separate, be separate. So, you know, are you the person that people look at at your place of employment and say, oh, no, don't talk to him. He thinks he's better than everybody. I hope not. <laughs> and, and, and again, you look at the example of Jesus. Jesus loved and appreciated the sinful people of the world. He wasn't afraid of them. He interacted with them, and he showed them a better way. Now, now Jesus obviously could do things that we can't, but that's the example to, and, 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 and in a in very practical way. You know, when you have individuals that, that come across your path that are outside of your realm of your, your, your Christianity and say, well, you know, they're, the, I mean, they're, they're a pagan, for goodness sakes. You know, maybe they believe in white witchcraft or whatever it is. What, what I try and do in that situation is, look, I want to find the good in that person. I want to be able to, to, to identify the good in that person and to, to focus on that. If you have to deal with the, the difficult stuff, you do. But if you find the good and you, and you build a foundation of some kind of relationship on that, you can, you can be friendly, you can be courteous, you can be helpful one to another, and I think you're being a great witness to the, to the, to the beauty of the body of Christ. And how about the sum of the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and 
your neighbor as yourself. Okay. Yeah. That, that's, the world is our neighbor. That's right. That's right. And so, so we shouldn't come across with that, with that looking down our nose at others. We should come across as being friendly and being uplifting and being an example of participation and goodness. And that's a great, great way to witness. Let, let's go to a quick soundbite. Again, James Neuro from Success. Remember, he started out the, the program saying 5% of our decision-making is conscious and 95% is subconscious. Um, and, and here he's talking about a little bit about the, the, how the brain works internally. When we put people in brain scanners, fMRI scanners, here's a picture of one, and we watch their brains making decisions, we can predict them. We can predict purchase decisions, we can predict many different types of decisions. Not only can we predict them, we can predict them before the person makes them consciously. How many seconds do you think we can predict a decision before you consciously make one? The answer is about 7 to 10 seconds. 7 to 10 seconds before you make a decision consciously, your subconscious mind has already done it. That's kind of scary, actually, when you think about it. <laughs> it is. Wow. And, and you know, and the thing is, that's why principles are so important, because principles are external. And if you don't plant them inside your heart and your mind, they're not going to be a part of that subconscious working. And if they're not part of it, then they can't be part of the final decision, and then you end up losing. So we spend all that time on principles because you, you need them. So with that baseline of principles and the importance of those external fixed points of reference, let's get on to pressures in life. Now, what are pressures again? Well, Rick, the external factors or people that create a feeling of urgency to move in one direction or another. And don't forget, with pressures, prayer is a a happy companion. <laughs> All right, so so let, let's let's back up for a second. With principles, prayer is a necessary companion because you have to make those principles become part of your heart, and yes. that that takes time and effort and a lot of prayer. With pressures, the pressures in life, prayer you called it a happy companion because pressure is not happy. No. So prayer can take the pressure of the pressure and help to alleviate it by focusing it in the right direction. So, so Jonathan, here's where, where, where we get down to it. See, because with pressure, for the young Christian, choices regarding your friends, the college you go to, activities, career, marriage, all exert heavy, heavy pressure in that young oh, that Christian. that does. Yes. And sometimes this pressure feels overwhelming. So what do you do? You find those external principles and build on them and use them as an anchor to hold you steady. But if you don't know them already, it's going to be awfully hard to find them when you're in the middle of the pressure. That's right, because you'll be tossed about with this peer pressure hitting you from every angle. And peer pressure is such a difficult thing to manage because, because you, feel you, are, you feel exposed uh, and you feel like you have no other choice but to bend toward the will of the mob, so to speak. And that's not a good place to be. And even when you think about it, the, the college that you choose to go to, and, and 
I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I just want to mention, you know, there, there's a lot of young folks that they go to school and they, they, they go, they, they choose a school that they really want to go to and they get out of school and they've got $150,000 of student loans. And you think, okay. And then, and then your question is, okay, well, what am I supposed to do now? Now I've got this $150,000 of student loans. My question is, why didn't you ask that question when you started? When, before you got going, you know what you were heading into. Did that fulfill the principles of the things that you were looking for? Or are you going to have the type of job that can wipe those out in a matter of five or six or seven or eight years? So it comes down to we always look back and say, oh, what do I do now? What we're suggesting is by using these foundation principles, you start to look forward and say, what should I be doing now because I see what can happen then. That's what principles can do for us. There's wisdom there, brother. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to find those external principles and hold on to them so they can hold us steady. Let's go back to uh, Samantha Agos. Remember the five tips to improve your critical thinking? And one was, the first tip, tip was to formulate your question. So she's going to go on now with the second tip. Two, gather your information. There's lots of it out there, so having a clear idea of your question will help you determine what's relevant. If you're trying to decide on a diet to improve your nutrition, you may ask an expert for their advice or seek other people's testimonies. Information gathering helps you weigh different options, moving you closer to a decision that meets your goal. Okay, gather your information. And that's what we're suggesting. That's where these biblical principles come in so, so strongly. As you're gathering your information, you've got them to check the pieces of information as they come in. Does this fit with godliness? Yes. Does this fit with godliness? Uh, it might. Uh, put that one aside just for a moment. Does this fit with godliness? No. Okay, throw that one out. That's part of the process, but it's hard to do because it's not driven by emotion. And we need to work the logic in. Otherwise, our Christian decisions might be off. So pressures, Jonathan, because that's what we're talking about now, can be both positive and negative when making choices. So we would do well to identify and dwell on the positive pressures that press us toward godliness in our choices. And you think about it and you say, what do you mean positive pressures? I mean, don't you want to get away from all pressure? <laughs> and the answer is no, you don't, because there is pressure in godliness. And it helps you grow up. It, it really does. It really does, and that's something that is so sadly missing in our in our um, in our developing of children uh, today. Let's look at Second Corinthians six sixteen. Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, "I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." All right. So we are the temple of the living God. This is a positive pressure, isn't it? Yes, and it's pressure. I mean, you think about it. There's pressure in that scripture. If you are, if you are the temple of God, what that means is that you are, if, if you are a true follower of Christ, what you have done with your life is you have accepted the role of being a footstep follower of Christ, of having given up your own will to do the will of God through Christ, and now you, you are given God's power and influence, his Holy Spirit. You are given that as part of you, there's pressure to make use of that in a godly way. This is Christian Questions, your weekly live podcast to help you think about the Bible like you never have before. 
Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com or call us now at 866-985-4255. All right, so here is what this positive pressure is going to bring us to. So we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. We're going to break it up into pieces, and actually we're going to have Jewel uh, read these verses for us. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Okay, so this sums up our base foundation principles. Believe in God, Jesus, and our role as followers. Okay, be imitators of God. Now look, Jonathan, we can't imitate God. No, <laughs> it would be nice, but yeah. we, we try, and we, it's our intent that he counts towards us. Right, and so it says, be imitators of God as beloved children, walk in love. But see, you know, it gives us the, it gives us the, the ability to, to do that imitation in the right way by saying, as beloved children. And when you think of a little child imitating the, the adult, you don't, you don't see them doing it very well, but you look at that and you smile with great approval because they're trying to be like their dad. So he's smiling at us. Right. And that, and that gives us great, great comfort. But, you know, walk in love just as Christ loved us. So, again, it sums up our base foundation principles so we can be focused on going in the right direction. Next come the anchor principles. Needed to identify what is truly appropriate for true Christians. So, Jewel, let's continue with verses 3 to 5. But immorality or any impurity <clears throat> or greed must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather give of thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So this is saying, okay, the anchor principles have to come into play here. Don't let immorality and impurity and greed and all these things be part of you. They, they should not be a part of what you do and who you are. Put them away from you because it's not a, an accurate assessment of one who follows Jesus. You're right, Rick. I, we should have no cursing or being rude or being... A poor example, but be tasteful in our conversation. You know, and and, and just a quick point on that with the, with the cursing. I, cursing is so incredibly common in everyday conversation. And folks, look, if you're a Christian, honestly, and, and this is a Rick opinion here, you shouldn't you shouldn't be using that kind of language. And you say, well, look, you know, there's no other way to describe things. Yes, there is. Absolutely, there is. Get creative. Be bold. You don't have to point it out in others necessarily, but if you, and I've had this experience personally, if you stand for something and use different kind of language, people will notice over time, especially if you're not looking down upon them, and they will automatically begin to elevate their language to your level because it's respectful, and they see your respect, and they will reciprocate. It takes a lot of time, but it can happen. So... Once we have all these principles in order, we can now more easily, truly see what we're facing. So, Jewel, let's continue with verses 6 through 10. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. 
for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, learning to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. All right, so don't allow yourself to be deceived with empty words. Just don't allow that to happen in your life. You have a choice, and that's the whole point of this podcast, is we have a choice, and pressure comes, and it bears down on us, and it makes us want to go in a direction, but we have to say, wait a minute, what are the principles of godliness? Is that direction in accordance with the principles of godliness? And if not, what pressure can I exert to move me towards the principles of godliness. So so what's the pressure lesson here, Jonathan? Well, Rick, we can decide what pressures we will allow to influence us, and once that decision is made, our choices will follow suit. We can decide what pressures we allow to influence us. We can make that choice. As a Christian, you have the godly principles to lean on, and you can decide, is this pressure worth it? Is it godly? And if it's not, why would I even begin to think about allowing it into my thinking? No, I don't want it. It doesn't belong. It's out of here. Godly principles will prevail. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Today's episode is, So What Are My Choices? Coming up, with life's pressures in order, how do we deal with our own preferences in our decision making? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Today's episode is, So, What Are My Choices? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL, or you can message us on your app. Sign up for CQ Rewind at ChristianQuestions.com, hit the newsletter sign-up tab, and register for our CQ Rewind outline. So, Jonathan, we spent a lot of time talking about principles, and we can prayerfully ask God to help us make those external principles part of our internal being. And then we talked about the pressures of life and peer pressure and all the kinds of things that happen that, it, that, that push us one direction or another. And again, like you mentioned, prayer is the happy companion to pressure because prayer can help us to say, that pressure is not godly. I must resist with godly pressure to push against it. And that will, if we have the principles, help us through. That being said, those are the external things, the, the pressures and so forth. Preferences are internal. Preferences are the—well, well, go ahead. T- tell us what, what they are. Well, Rick, they're the internal emotions that bend our desires toward one direction or another. It's, and again, Rick, prayer needs to be a companion with our preferences. You're fixated on prayer. I don't know. <laughs> Hey, it's a part of our decision-making. But you know what? It's such an important part. It's one of those underlying factors that if you bring it to every part of this process, you can find a better way. Now, look, prayer doesn't mean, God, give me this. Oh, please, I need this right now. That's not prayer. That's not what you're talking about, is it? Not at all. (laughs) No. Doing God's will, looking for his will in our experiences. 
And we're going to get to that in a big way right at the end of the podcast. So please stay with us for that because I'm going to give you an incredible example of exactly that, just like you described. So preferences, the internal emotions that bend our desires toward this direction or that. We as Christians actually have two sets of preferences to deal with. Like, oh, great. Really? You mean that? Yes, I do mean that. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So the need to be urged to a different and higher direction that this verse gives us in Romans indicates that we'd naturally prefer another more convenient way. The fact is, and folks, listen carefully, the fact is Christianity and Christian choice are inconvenient. They just are. They get in the way. They're hard. They're like, oh, really? Do I have to? Yes. That's what Christianity and Christian choices are. Let's go with verse, uh, verse 2 of Romans 12. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. All right, so not only, let's make it even worse, okay? Not only are Christianity and Christian choices inconvenient, to be transformed is to be changed. And to be changed means discomfort. And that's not normally our preference. So not only is Christian choice inconvenient, it's not comfortable either. It's, it's not just putting you out. It's putting you out in an uncomfortable way. So, Well, Rick, we're battling the flesh and its interests. Yeah. And our preferences will bow to the flesh's decisions quickly if we don't watch it. Because that is the default in our earthly being. The default yes. is to bow to the desires of the flesh. And much of Christianity, un unfortunately, Jonathan, is built that way. The, the, the whole prosperity gospel is built on the desires of the flesh becoming the godliness. And that's a lie. It's an absolute lie. It's not what Christianity really is about. So, having put that on the table, let's take a pause here for a moment. <laughs> let's go back to another soundbite from Samantha Agos. Uh, remember, it was five tips to improve your critical thinking. The first one was to, you know, to formulate your question. The second one was to gather your information. And now, well, what are you supposed to do with that information? Well, let's listen and find out. Three, apply the information. Something you do by asking critical questions. Facing a decision, ask yourself, what concepts are at work? What assumptions exist? Is my interpretation of the information logically sound? For example, in an email that promises you millions, you should consider, what is shaping my approach to this situation? Do I assume the sender is telling the truth? Based on the evidence, is it logical to assume I'll win any money? Yeah, nope. <laughs> it's not logical. And, and, you know, that's part of this whole process is understanding that we have to put logic into something that is emotional. Decision-making is primarily emotional. That's where a lot of us just live, is in the emotions of the decision-making. And if we don't make it logical according to the basic precepts that we talked about and the foundation principles of, of God and Christ, then we're going to be lost. So, so making choices as a Christian is a cause for discomfort, especially to what might feel most natural. And you mentioned that just before that soundbite. If our Christianity is genuine... Now, here, here's another great thing to make it worse, Jonathan. 
if, What's that? if our Christianity is genuine, we become living contradictions in our decision making. Oh, great. Yeah. So <laughs> people are going to look at us and go, you did what? <laughs> yeah. I mean, why would you do that? Exactly. I mean, come on. So it's inconvenient. It's uncomfortable. And now you become a living contradiction. And we know that because Romans 7, 21 to 25 talks about that very, that very battle of preference inside of our, of, of our hearts. Romans 7, 21 to 25. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? All right, so, so, so it's talking about this living contradiction. Again, folks, we're talking about our life preferences, and we all have them. And, you know, that's part of what makes us unique as human beings is the kinds of things that we grow up to prefer. Uh, you know, when, when, when you think about it, um, you generally become friends with people who have the same types of preferences that you do. Sure. Because that's common ground. And, and you know, if you are the type of person who likes sports— you generally gravitate toward others who like sports. If you're the type of person who, who loves music, you gravitate towards others who love music. Uh, you know, if, if you like to sit like a, a vegetable and watch TV, you gravitate towards others who are going to do the same thing. The, the point is that we gravitate toward others who have our same similar types of preferences. The problem is, for a Christian... Your preferences are not the bottom line of your life. They are often something to be overcome. So that's why in this scripture it talks about, I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but there's another law in my members, in my body. So there's these two things. You know, it's like that image of the, the person who's got the, the, little, the little devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other shoulder, and he's trying to make a decision, you know, yep. and both are whispering in each of his ears and, you know, and, and you know, which is going to win. It's the same kind of thing. I mean, the, the imagery is kind of silly, but it makes the point that we have to battle against earthly preferences and establish spiritual preferences. So to manage and overcome the contradiction, what do you need? The foundation and anchor principles to rule in our hearts and our minds. We keep coming back to that. With a full dose of prayer, I might add, because if Thank I don't add you. it, you're going to add <laughs> don't it. Don't forget that. <laughs> well, and it's, and it's so important because preferences are just natural to us. My, my preference, I don't have to think about what my preference is. You it's know? chocolate. It's always chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, not always. Well, 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 maybe always. I don't know. <laughs> but the point is that it's so easy to be guided by preference, but for a Christian, that's not the guiding light of our lives. It's something bigger. So, again, we're getting back to Romans 7, 21 to 25. We got through verse 24 before we went off on this tangent. Let's get to verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, 
the law of sin. So what the apostle is telling us is actually encouraging in this contradiction because he's saying, yes, I'm a living contradiction, but with my mind I'm serving the law of God and I fall because I'm a sinful human being, but I'm still serving the law of God. That's where I am focusing, and he's focusing on the principles that we started out talking about. You're listening to Christian Questions Live. Talk to us now by calling 866-985-4255 or contact us and leave us a question or leave us a message at christianquestions.com. So for a Christian, you're a Christian, I don't care if you're a young Christian, a middle-aged Christian, or an old Christian, you still have earthly preferences. All of those earthly preferences are not necessarily bad and sinful and awful. But a lot of them will, will tug us away from the things that are most important. And we have to decide how to deal with that. And, and, and Jonathan, I just want to pause here for a moment, because you, you had mentioned something um, in the first hour when we were talking about marriage, and you said, you know, talked about somebody who, who's a Christian married to somebody who's not a Christian. Mm-hmm. And so there, there is a, a contradiction there. But there is an example of how to apply true spirituality in your decision-making, because your non-Christian spouse is not going to be interested in reading the Scriptures and meditating on them and discussing them with you. But you're married. So you need to make conscious choices and decisions to fulfill that, that relationship. And see, I think, and God, God blesses you for doing that for taking time with your spouse and doing things that aren't necessarily what you would normally do as, as that dedicated Christian, but in that circumstance you're called upon to do. I think that that's a blessed thing to do because you're showing God that you are honoring the promise that you made. And that's so important. So it's, it's looking at earthly preferences and putting them in, in order in relation to where we are in life and what our, our true choices can be. So... Bottom line is this, our preferences in our choices need to be tempered with God's will and his way, with God's preferences. So let's look at James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes away. So basically he's saying, okay, it's great to make to have ideas, to have big ideas, and, and say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this, and then we're going to, and we're going to make this, and then we're going to, and it's going to be good, and everything's going to be great. And say, okay, great. It's great that you're thinking that way, but just, you know what? Stop a minute. Because if you're a Christian, there's something missing in all of that thinking. There's something really important missing, and this really comes down to what you keep bringing us back to, Jonathan. So verses 15 to 17. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is a sin. So the contrary point here is instead you ought to say if the Lord wills we will live and do also this and that and the thought behind that is not to say well God I know you want me to go there and make this money and you know in this specific business endeavor that's not it it's if the Lord wills there's an if there 
and be willing to change plans in a moment if the Lord changes plans. So now here's the problem with that, is that you have your preference and it's all set to go, and maybe the Lord sends you a signal, but you just see it. Oh no, that's not that's not a direction. Not that's not a signal to change direction. That's just an obstacle I have to overcome. <laughs> you see what can happen? Oh yes. <laughs> our our own preferences can get in the way, and we have to be so careful. So again, how do you figure out what's the Lord's will in your decision making? Go back to the basic principles. Go back to those foundation principles of God first, Jesus following in his footsteps and being a small part of the body of Christ and contributing to that first. Those are the basic principles. Go back to those anchor principles that say, what kind of relationships are you developing? How is that godly? How is it Christ-like? How is it bringing you closer rather than further from those things that you hold to be sacred in life? Those are the things that if we continue to look at, we can begin to see, okay, you know what? My preferences are getting in my way. I should do something different. So once again, we need our foundation and anchor principles and anchor principles as a basis for assessing our own preferences. We got to be careful with our own preferences. Let's go back to Samantha Agos. Uh, again, five tips to improve your critical thinking. The third tip was apply the information that you had gathered up. And now uh, comes the fourth tip. Four, consider the implications. Imagine it's election time and you've selected a political candidate based on their promise to make it cheaper for drivers to fill up on gas. At first glance, that seems great. But what about the long-term environmental effects? If gasoline use is less restricted by cost, this could also cause a huge surge in air pollution an unintended consequence that's important to think about. Okay, so consider the implications. And that goes right along with what we've been saying about the preferences that we make in our spiritual lives. Are we following spiritual preferences or earthly preferences? And hint, earthly preferences are always easier. So preference for the Christian who sees themselves as self-sufficient, that's what this next scripture is going to be. Okay, me and Jesus, we can do it. I don't need anybody else. I got Jesus. I'm good. So let's go to Romans chapter 12, verses 3 to 6. And Jewel, why don't you read those for us, please? For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given. So th thank you for that. So, so again, what it comes down to is... And, and, and Jonathan, this is one of the things that I, I, I think that we forget as a foundation principle, and that is our role as part of the unity of the body of Christ. Because we, get, right. we get so full of ourselves in Christ that we forget that we are, or, or we are little tiny parts of something so much bigger. And we have to find ways to contribute to that. And the body is more important than the part. And I tell you, I gain such strength and appreciation from those that are in my Bible group that I just am in awe of how the Lord is working through them to answer some of my prayers and to give me strength and courage in areas that I don't have it. 
and and I just feed off that. And Rick, if I miss Bible weekly Bible studies or or church on Sunday, I I'm lacking because I miss that connection. So so what you're saying is that a lot of your own growth in deciding how you follow Christ is directly related to the input you get from others who are following Christ. You got it. And see, that direct relationship is an incredible and powerful decision-making tool. So if we want to make decisions that are Christ-like, let us make decisions that are Christ-like by looking to others who are trying to do the same thing and and fellowshipping and seeing and observing and listening to the comments and the studies and all of those things because that, like you said, can really help to shape your own preference to go from earthly to spiritual. So great, that's a great, great, great example. Preference lesson here, Jonathan, is what? Well, Rick, our personal preferences are ingrained and therefore must be focused on in order for us to properly align our choices with God's will. Sometimes when we think, we're choosing God's will, we may still be sliding with our natural preferences to our own detriment. Sometimes when we think we are choosing God's will, we're just placating our own preferences. We're making it look good, but really we're not following after those deep things of spirituality, those basic principles of godliness and following after Christ and being a small part of a big body. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Today's episode is, So What Are My Choices? Coming up, when it comes to our choices, how do we manage the most powerful part of life, our passions? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Today's episode is, So What Are My Choices? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL. Or you can message us on your app. Out from the dark ages, errors from the past, and into the light of today, the original good news. Join us 24-7 at ChristianQuestions.com. So, Jonathan, as we come to the final segment, the idea of this whole podcast is to focus on the things that we need in our lives to make good Christian decisions. And we need principles. We need to have the principles of godliness and righteousness uh, in front of us, first and foremost. We need to understand that there are going to be pressures in life, and with those pressures come the ability to have counter-pressures that are positive that we can be drawn to. We need to understand that we have preferences, things that we'd rather do, and oftentimes the things we'd rather do are not the things that we ought to do, and that we need to be focused on entirely on what we ought to do because we're a Christian and that's what we're called to do. Before we get to passions, which is the toughest part of this whole thing, let's go to our final soundbite from Samantha Egos on the five tips to improve your critical thinking. And this is the fifth and final tip. And basically it's explore other points of view. Five, explore other points of view. 
Ask yourself why so many people are drawn to the policies of the opposing political candidate. Even if you disagree with everything that candidate says, exploring the full spectrum of viewpoints might explain why some policies that don't seem valid to you appeal to others. This will allow you to explore alternatives, evaluate your own choices, and ultimately help you make more informed decisions. You know, as much as I dislike politics and much as we don't want politics as part of this program, that's a great principle. The idea of, okay, what is it about the other point of view that is so appealing to so many people? Let me try to really legitimately understand it. And that can be a real eye-opener because oftentimes we're blinded, again, by our own preferences on these You're things. You're right, Rick. So all of those points are good. They're very helpful to help us in our Christian decision-making. Now we come to the toughest part of the whole ball game here, and that's our passions. Again, what are passions? The internal fire of our heart that can powerfully override all other elements of choice. All right. So everything that we've just we've talked about previously in this podcast can go right out the window very easily if we give in to our passions without attempting to put them in check. Rick, we need principles here more than ever before. And what else do we need here, Jonathan? Prayer. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Without prayer, our passions will run wild because they're powerful. They are the most powerful part of us. So when, when it comes to choices, our passions are where the rubber meets the road. That's what we've been saying. Even in Scripture, the passions of God's chosen ones through the ages were a source of trial and testing. And if we had time, we can go through many, many examples of chosen ones of God whose passions got them into trouble. The bottom line is that the heart will always try and get what the heart wants. It's just the way we're wired. And you can say, well, it's okay, that's how I feel, so I must have it. No, that's how you feel, so you must challenge it if you're a Christian. And that's so hard to do. And that's why you said you got to have the principles right there first. So, all right, this next point, Jonathan, in my mind, okay. is the biggest, most important point of this whole conversation. Okay? I'm listening. All right. It goes without saying that our foundation and anchor principles must have permission to be made relevant when confronting our passions because passions always seem to feel like they are above the law. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) It's true, and it's dangerous, and it's so easy to follow because our passions are so strong, they rationalize us out of thinking clearly into acting blindly. And when we are rationalized out of thinking clearly into acting blindly and because we're following passion, that's where everything goes wrong. Those principles that we talked about so much earlier in the podcast must be given permission to be made relevant. If we don't give them permission to be made relevant, then the passion is going to walk all over them. If we do give them permission, those principles can be a roadblock to the passions and a funnel so that passion can be can be guided into something more positive. So let's get into some scriptures on this. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. 
For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Just because your passion says it's right, says it's real, says it's true, says it's vital, says it's important, doesn't mean it's godly. Period. We have to make sure. God is not mocked. If we sow to our passions, which are built on sinful thinking, we will reap accordingly. And just because you said, but God, I felt it so strongly, you still had the choice of being able to, especially, if, and I'm talking to Christians here, okay? We're talking to those who are supposed to know the will and word of God. We have to be on guard against those things. Verses 9 through 10. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Okay, so our doing good, again, it's not just being nice. It's complying with godly behavior and godly passion in all things. So when we think about passions, you have to think about Jesus. And a lot of times I don't know that we think about Jesus with, with human passions, but Jesus is a man was faced with the passions of his humanity needing to be focused on the will of God. Hebrews 4, uh, 14 to, to 16, and uh, Jewel, can you read that for us, please? Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All right, this proves that our passions can be channeled. This is very absolute important proof that our passions um, can be uh, put, put in order, because Jesus, as a man had these passions. It says, one who was tempted in all things like as we are, yet without sin. Jonathan, we have a call. Let's go to that call. It looks like we have Julius from Connecticut on the line. Good evening, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Good evening, Rick. Good evening, uh, Jewel and Jonathan. Thank you for taking my call. You know, our Lord Jesus says much about servants, service, and serving and particularly at this time of the year, you know, some of his apostles had said, uh, I want to be uh, in your kingdom. I want to be a big shot. I want to be a chief. Mm -hmm. And he uh, defined service, what it is to be, uh, you know, uh, he who is among, uh, chief among you, let him be your servant. So within that context, I like a definition of servant from the dictionary. A servant is one that exerts self for the benefit of another. God bless. Thanks, Julius. Excellent thought. Appreciate it. So uh, it really is an important thought that Julius brought out for us here, that um, the, the idea of servitude. And, and, and I think that in, in fitting with our passions, what, it, what it's saying is you can take your passions and you can refocus them on, 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 on being 
of service to others to be helpful to them. Julius, thanks so much for that, uh, that very concise thought. So, so, Jonathan, as we begin to wrap this up now, we know that Jesus approached his Gethsemane experience. When he approached it, we, we know that he had everything clear in his heart, right? Oh, of course he did. You know, it, it, was all, it was all very clear for him. It was all very concise for him. We know that the principles were crystal clear. So let's go to that Gethsemane experience and look at all of these elements of choice in this Gethsemane experience. The principles the pressures, the preferences, and finally the passion. Starting with the principles, Mark 14, uh, verses, uh, verse 32 to 34 to begin with. They came to a place called, named Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here until I have prayed. So sit here until I have prayed. Jonathan, you've been bringing up prayer throughout the entire podcast. I have. And Jesus, at this most pivotal moment what does he do he says sit here while i pray because he was so focused on godly principles in his ability to accomplish what was set before him because as difficult as things may have been up to this point they were only going to get harder and harder and harder so what what pressures are on his shoulders at this moment rick and so when you have that extraordinary pressure, you go back to the principles, and you find the principles by backing away and praying. And that's what, exactly what Jesus did. So his principles were crystal clear. So then he reveals, Jesus then reveals the external pressures that he's facing, uh, which have caused him uh, this internal grief. And that's in, again, we're in Mark chapter 14, and we're going to verses 33 and 34. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be very distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. So he is telling them of the incredible pressure that he's under. So, and he's saying, Look, my soul is grieved to the point of death. I mean, you, you don't get any further than that, Jonathan. You just can't go down the road any further than that. Grief unto death is what he was experiencing, and he's looking for support. Stay with me. Just just be there. That's all he's asking for. I, I know you can't do this for me, but I'd like to have your support as I do this. So he's, he's, he's feeling this incredible press of the external pressures of having to fight against Satan and do the will of God. Incredible, incredible pressure. So Jesus sought the principles in prayer. He expressed the pressures that he was facing. He prays regarding his own deep personal preferences. And and so again, Christian choice is all being revealed to us in this one Gethsemane experience of Jesus. Here in these next verses in Mark 14, verses 35 and 36, he reveals his personal preferences. And he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. So... This is, you think about the, the, the deep 
uh, anxiety that Jesus was feeling at this moment. And, he's, and he goes to Father and he says, Abba, Father. And you know, Abba kind of means like Daddy. It's that, it's that, that really deep emotional connection between Father and child. Abba, Father, all things are possible. Please remove this cup from me. I mean, he's asking for something. He's telling God what his personal preference is. It takes a lot of courage to do that in this situation. And he, it does. So he, his principles are in place because he goes to God in prayer. He expresses the pressures, and then he reveals his preferences. Finally, Jesus rehearses and relies upon his deepest and most convicted passion. Because as right after he expressed his preference, what does he say? Yet, not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So now he comes to his most convicted passion. And in, the, in, in light of his own preference, his final words on the matter are, yet not what I will and I'm going to paraphrase, but what you, Abba Father, will for me. That's what I'll do. Because inevitably, the bottom line of Jesus' entire existence was the will of God. That was the greatest passion, greater than any other passions that he had in his life. It overrode everything and put down his own preference. So when we look at our own lives— and, and, and our Christian choices and our Christian decisions, and we've got to look at the principles and the pressures and the preferences and the passions, we can, we can see them summed up in Jesus' Gethsemane experience and in the victory of taking his ultimate spiritual passion and having it override everything else. So, Jonathan, what is our final passion lesson uh, for this podcast? So, in any hour of temptation, in any circumstance of choice, we are best served when we have our principles in mind, our pressures managed, our preferences understood, and our passions directed. So, it's really that simple. Now, it's really not simple, but it's, it, it can be stated that clearly. And we saved this particular example for the very end because I can't think of a better way to clearly state how all of these things fit together than in Jesus' own example. And, you know, in, in one of the other accounts, it talks about his being in, in Gethsemane. In one of the accounts, it talks about him sweating great drops of blood. Mm, yes. And, and, you know, there have been many, many times in, 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 in the past in past history where people said, yeah, well, you know, that, that, that doesn't happen. And it's actually been proven to happen. I actually saw a videotape of a weightlifter who was lifting such heavy weight, he started to sweat drops of blood. It was really, it was a... Wow. And, and, and it was because of the incredible, intense pressure that was upon him. And so when you realize that at the moment of greatest, deepest choice that Jesus had, he applied these four things to make his decision to be in accordance with the very clear and distinct will of God. There's nothing better to be said about our Christian decision-making 
than to look at Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and realize he went through the same kinds of things, but was victorious. We can follow that example and put our preferences aside and the pressures aside and the passions aside and hold on to the godly principles and make decisions that would be an honor to God in following Christ. For Jonathan and Rick, it's Christian Questions. We hope you've enjoyed being with us today. We certainly have enjoyed talking with you about the importance of making good decisions. So until next week, make sure that the decisions you make are in accordance with the principles of God. Think about it. And folks, remember, we love hearing from you, our listeners. Let us know what you thought of today's topic. Suggest future topics. Start a conversation with us at ChristianQuestions.com and stay tuned for another program next week.